This episode of Where To Begin With will feature heavy spoilers of the movie The Maltese Falcon from 1941. If you've never seen that movie before, and you want to take part in this episode by submitting any review, then please hit stop right now. Go away, check the movie out, submit your review and to be part of this episode. If you have seen the movie, or you just really don't care, just keep listening. Don't say you weren't warned. Come closer. I want to talk to you. I'm going to tell you an astounding story. The story of the Maltese Falcon. 600 years the Falcon has carried the mystery of a fabulous wealth under its grotesque wings. I could tell you a thousand tales of the men and women who have hunted this evil bird. But every story has the same ending. Murder. Listen to these incredible people all consumed by their passionate greed for the Maltese falcon. What have you ever given me beside money? Have you ever given me any of your confidence, any of the truth? Haven't you tried to buy my loyalty with money and nothing else? What else is there I can buy you with? I won't play the sap for you. I haven't lived a good life. I've been bad. Worse than you could know. We were talking about a lot more money than this. There are more of us to be taken care of now. Well, that may be, but I've got the falcon. You may have the falcon. We certainly have you. I've taken all the riding from you I'm gonna take. Get up and shoot it out. Stop it, the police will be here any minute. Now talk. Oh, how can you accuse me of such a terrible... This isn't the time for that schoolgirl act. We're both of us sitting under the gallows. Welcome back to another episode of Where To Begin With. This is season number three, episode number six. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and we are continuing our run of film noir and neo-noir movies through into what is arguably one of the most important film noirs, if not one of the most important movies in American history. We're talking about The Maltese Falcon, a movie that is credited for so many firsts that it's kind of difficult in hindsight now, so many years removed from the movie's debut, to actually anticipate how important a movie like this would have been at ground level during the production. 
When I say how important it actually is, it's just the catalogue of things it did first, or the people that were involved with it. This is a directorial debut for John Huston, who would go on and do Moby Dick amongst many other movies. A guy whose pure presence across not only writing and directing has left a massive, massive legacy across cinema. It's based on the Dashiell Hammett novel, uh, which was actually originally published as a collection of stories. And this one here, I mean, as pulpy as it is, Dashiell Hammett has went on to, once again, be a guy synonymous with the genre of film noir. Many of his original pieces being adapted or um, influencing the direction that certain movies would take. On top of that, this is essentially the movie that puts Humphrey Bogart on the map. After this, he is seen as a big power player amongst movies, and this is the movie that cements him as the as the kind of, I was going to say versatile, but it's not necessarily versatile, but certainly leading man character of strength and conviction that we would see throughout. You have him surrounded by incredible character actors and actors in general, whether it's someone like a Ward Bond or a Peter Laurie, um, great presences like Gladys George and Mary Astor, and, you know, a collection, a who's who of other faces that would appear in all manner of different roles of the era. On top of that, like I said before, this is a movie that essentially is credited for starting film noir. The particular genre itself is or was very dark for the time period. I mean, in 2022, we're used to cinema that's a bit bleak, a bit nihilistic. Uh, for all intents and purposes, things that don't have happy endings are sometimes met with a bigger cheer than the ones that are met with happy endings. Cinema wasn't really like that before 1941. Hollywood had to pay back the audience with, a, you know, a pip in their step, and a, and a kind of happy go get em vibe when leaving the auditorium. The Maltese Falcon is birthed out a really difficult time period. Uh, this movie comes out just as America is getting ready to flex its muscles and enter the Second World War. The world in, in itself is in turmoil. On top of that as well, America's reeling from the, you know, economic depression that almost destroyed the country financially. The ideas about the American dream were first fully put to task, and that was a test that the country failed. So this movie starts off a new decade with a harder nose, but that harder nose is because of the background in which it's birthed from. The people are needing escapism, but they also need something that feels like it's a dose of dark reality. And the, the kind of ideas and terms of film noir are what's birthed from that. I mean, film noir basically means black cinema. And this movie, amongst many other firsts that it brings, is almost uniquely identified because of its lighting. We now look at certain film directors and look at how they light their cinema and we can link it back or it's a specific style. But once again, this I think this might be the first movie that uses kind of low-level lighting. And it really, and especially in the black and white era, it really 
brings out a whole different atmosphere, a whole different vibe of what you're actually seeing on the screen. It's also a movie that at no point gives up like its pacing, it's an hour and 40 minutes, or its mystery. This is throwing at the audience curveballs left, right and centre and it's doing it at a pace where it's kind of easy to miss a detail or, you know, you know, like get confused about a particular conversation. And it's to the credit of the studio, the director and, uh, you know, the, the filmmaker at the time, you know, the company behind it, all, the, all those involved actors, actresses and, and uh, editors and stuff, that they had the confidence that the audiences would just get behind this. There are so many twists and turns in the Maltese Falcon, so many characters, almost every character in this movie is a liar, uh, has an ulterior motive, has another agenda, and that's, you know, that's the, the way it rolls, and, uh, and the best the best way it, it kind of manages to somehow do all that, but stay together very tightly in a way which only, if you had any qualms or any issues potentially giving this you know, career Hollywood guy, John Huston, his first movie, after seeing this, those fears are laid to rest. I mean, this is an incredibly confident debut film. This movie would go on and win three Oscars, including Best Picture, which, once again, that says a lot. And not only did Huston win Best Picture for this, but also Best Screenplay. The adaptation, that Oscar went to him as well. So two Oscars for the man behind this. Once again, cementing him as this power in, in Hollywood, which is very important. You know, it, it would, you know, rack any ton of awards across the board, and rightly so. Like I say, this is a movie that, uh, you know, there are certain movies that you're like, well, this is, you know, this goes in a museum. And, you know, the Maltese Falcon is certainly one of them. We're also introduced to the character of Sam Spade, or Samuel Spade, who Bogart portrays here, who would make numerous appearances through different noir films. This is the this is a, a character who, you know, is dark himself. He's no nonsense, right to the point, um, heavy drinker, and uh, he is essentially the surrogate audience here, explaining all the details and carrying us. He's our guide to the mystery that's unfolding here and he is at times just as confused as we are trying to piece everything together. It's a wonderful performance by Bogart and you can kind of see why people would then start to take an interest in him as a leading man after this. Um, yeah, just incredibly powerful. The story itself, I mean, to try and break it down in one of these shorter form reviews is almost impossible. And there's also a part of me that feels like if you're listening to this and you were interested in film noir to begin with, you've seen The Maltese Falcon. It's kind of like the film to see. If you were doing a list of movies in the, the film noir genre like I did, and there's a reason I put this just after the midway point. Essentially, we are... I've done some of my experimental picks already. We're going to be closing out the kind of last five of these movies here would essentially heavy hitter after heavy hitter and some of them are going to definitely be well known some of them are going to maybe be slightly less known potentially 
uh, but you will have heard the name, just maybe never seen the movie. But I, I reckon you've all seen the Maltese Falcon. But yeah, it's very difficult to unpack the twists and turns. It is a very basic story, but its charm lies in the, the factions, the criminal organisations that are vying for the prize. And, and our heroes trying to decipher who's telling the truth, who's lying, piece things together and get their hands on the Falcon themselves. As cinema goes, The Maltese Falcon is about one of the most important movies ever. And I can say that with confidence. We've had a lot of them, but this is the movie that births a genre which is still active today. We have film directors and film voices that are piecing together the idea of film noir. We've already done some modern ones, but if you saw that Batman movie um, from earlier on this year, then you know that it's still there. The idea of noir is is kind of peppered all the way through it. Even watching the trailer for the new Christopher Nolan movie, Oppenheimer, which, once again, Oppenheimer is, is Christopher Nolan doing Christopher Nolan, but Nolan himself has got this weave of noir all the way going back to Memento but through his filmography just looking at the trailer of that and the way it's shot and the way it's lit it's noir it has that feel it has a feel of old school early 40s Hollywood which makes me very excited to see it so his legacy not only stylistically but storytelling wise is still felt very much prominently today and it all starts here kind of makes it the most important movie on the list is it my favourite film noir? No. I think other movies do things in a manner that I can get more behind. And is it a flawless film? No, it's not. There are some cracks in there, for sure. But this is damn near as close to perfection as you're going to get in cinema, hands down. The Maltese Falcon is the movie that you guys will be reviewing on the next episode. And I'll be reviewing a new film. However, that new film is very much linked to Dashiell Hammond, and we'll get to that after your reviews. Your reviews, of course, of last month's film, which was the aforementioned Memento. So let's get into it, shall we? Our first review comes in from our good buddy Tim Walker, and Tim says, Dear Duncan and Teapots Collective People, Well, this pick for where to begin with is a very popular one, but as a movie I've never seen. Memento. I've been hearing for years about what a great thriller is, and now, because of where to begin with, I'm finally watching it. I'll get right to the positives. The acting is outstanding. The standout performance to me was Joe Pantoliano as Teddy. That guy steals the show in almost every movie he's in. The dialogue and writing were pretty strong. The cinematography was great and I did appreciate the black and white for the flashback scenes. Although when you think about it, the whole movie is told in a flashback sort of way. One more positive for sure was the pacing. I was never really bored. The characters and the stories were quite engaging. Okay, now for some negatives. I was pretty lost for most of it. Of course, with repeat viewings, I'm sure the movie is easier to follow. I strongly suspect I stand alone in this one, but a lot of the movie I just wasn't buying into. Maybe the memory condition the lead character has is a thing, I don't know. It still struck me as a movie thing, if that makes sense. How manipulative everyone is to the lead character because of his condition just didn't work for me. I get that their actions make sense in the story, but it felt unrealistic. When you add that to the non-linear storytelling, I kept being taken out of the movie. It's not that any of it was poorly done, but it kept me from buying into it. 
Like I've said before, when I'm not buying into a movie's plot or dialogue, they might as well turn the camera around and have the crew waving hello. No matter how unrealistic a movie plot is, I can still get into if it feels real. Even movies as unrealistic as Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, uh, Star Wars work well. When a movie has too many twists or dialogue that's too snappy, that is to say, that's not how real people speak, I'm often taken out of it. And that did happen at various times with Memento. I don't know, maybe my issues will fade or completely go away with multiple viewings. Well, despite my problems with it, which I'm sure are way more than most people will have, I did like the movie. Based on what I've heard and read, the overwhelming majority of people would give this movie a 5 stars or at minimum 4, and I'm coming in at 3.5. Keep in mind that's just after one watch, but I do call them like I see them. I'm also not sure how often I'll be returning to this one. It may be a major classic to most, but it was just a decent flick, nothing more. Sorry, but I still like it. When you think about how high the expectations were set up for me over the years, that's not too bad. Up next is the Maltese Falcon, which will also be an interesting one. I've only seen parts of it and that was a long time ago. Until then, I say take care, stay safe, and always keep a pen and paper handy, or at least some post-it notes. Tim. Thanks very much, Tim, for submitting in your review. Always great to hear from you, my friend. The next one comes in from Andrew Valdez, who says, Christopher Nolan's Memento from 2000 is a movie that asks, can one get revenge when they don't remember getting it? Leonard Shelby, played by Guy Pearce, is a man with no short-term memory. He's incapable of having new memories. The last thing he remembers is that his wife has been raped and murdered. The movie is told in two separate timelines. There are scenes in colour that play out in reverse time, and the black and white sections are of Leonard in a motel room on the phone, explaining to an unknown person on the other end about his condition, as well as to the audience. Where a movie is told in linear time, it gives us the protagonist's journey. We start out at the end of the movie, with Leonard standing over a dead body, having just killed someone. Every 15 or 20 minutes, the scene ends and we go back to what happened previously where we had left off. In that time, we meet John Edward Gamble, also known as Teddy, played by Joe Pantoliano, who also meets Natalie, played by Carrie Ann Moss. After each new scene begins, we know the aspects of the mystery that Leonard has yet to learn, and we see how he gets to the movement we've just watched. I foresaw Memento in theatres. There was a lot of hype about this movie and how clever it was and how it got Christopher Nolan a lot of attention and hype. Leonard is a character that we sympathise with. We want to see him get his revenge, but we don't know who of the people he's met want to genuinely help him and who want to take advantage of his inability to remember. In some cases, the characters do both, so that the audience isn't always sure who to trust or who their true motives are. Memento is a movie that keeps its pedal to the ground. It feels like it's constantly moving. Uh, well, it is, but only in reverse. In the end, we learn who the dead body is and why Leonard shot him. Leonard will not remember, but as the audience, we feel like Leonard has reached the end of his journey for revenge. 
Thanks very much to Andrew Valdez for submitting that. And Andrew, it's always great to hear from you. I hope that you participate more of these um, because one, we could do with the more reviews, but at the same time, I love your reviews, man. So I'm looking forward to hearing more from you, hopefully in the near future. Our last one is the audio review. It comes in from our good buddy, David Garrett Jr., who says... Hello, Duncan and T-Puts Collective listeners. David Garrett Jr. here once again for where to begin with film noir and neo-noir films. This time around, we are actually covering one that I had seen once while I was in college and had been meaning to revisit for some time but hadn't gotten around to it until now. So I do have to thank you, Duncan, for that. And that movie is Memento. Now, when I first time I saw this, I didn't know who Christopher Nolan was. I had seen Insomnia first when I was seeking out movies with Al Pacino, as he is one of my favorite actors of all time. I mean, at one point he was, but I digress there. As well as I'd already seen Batman Begins, The Prestige, and The Dark Knight. It would have been around that time that I ended up seeing this as well, but I didn't necessarily correlate these were all the same people, you know, the same director and everything like that. But this one blew me away after that first viewing, if I'm going to be honest. It had been over a decade since that first watch, so I was curious to see how this would hold up. Something else I want to add into here is that this appeared on the Internet Movie Database Top 100 poster that my wife of Jamie got me. It was on our list, so thank you for you know pushing this again so I could be like, hey, we have to watch this movie. And she ended up really liking it, so I don't necessarily know why she was fighting it. So this feels like Christopher Nolan taking his hand at telling a story in a non-linear way. This is the first time that I've seen him do it. We get a great performance here from Guy Pierce as Leonard. What makes this interesting is that we see something and the movie will go back into the past to show us the event that leads to that. And it continues to do this until the whole story is told. And this is, you know, starting at the end and going back to the beginning. Intercut is Leonard talking to someone on the phone. I will also point out here that he's unable to make new short-term memories. He tattoos himself with notes and must continually refresh himself by looking at them. He also relies on his ability to read people, so that's why he tries to avoid taking phone calls. All that makes for an interesting neo-noir story here. With the information that we get in the beginning, we don't trust Teddy, who is portrayed by Joe Pantanalino, probably mispronounced that, but here we are, who Leonard thinks is the guy he's looking for. We have Natalie, who is Carrie Ann Moss, helps him with this information, but the more that we go on, the more things aren't as they seem. In the vein of film noir, we have Leonard as our detective looking into what happened to his wife. He is a bit of a victim with his memory issue. By the end, though, he is a complicated character like most everyone else. Natalie ends up as our femme fatale, and Teddy is interesting when we learn more about him, but he's kind of like our cop here that we want to trust. I mean, at the beginning, we don't, but the more we learn, the more I don't necessarily know if we should believe, you know, Leonard in these things. And there is something great here near the end that really just kind of blew me away, even after this rewatch. This didn't hold up the impact for me as much, though. It wasn't until just past the midway point that I was sucked back in. And I'll be honest, I only remembered who was in this movie and the concept. I would say that there was material here that could be trimmed. But looking back, these things need to be there to set up for the payoff. This is a good mystery. The acting is solid across the board. It can get a bit confusing. And the only way that I could prove that there were no cheats in this timeline would be with a linear cut. I have heard this is out there. I don't know if this would have the same pull, though, if you see it, how that is you know, done that way, instead of how this is told, the beginning of the setup is more important than where we end up. We need those motivations, so I understand why that Nolan does it as he does, and, you know, has everything set up in that way. 
this is a good movie though, and I'm glad that I rewatched it for sure. So once again, I appreciate you know you selecting this movie. My rating here, Duncan, for Memento is going to be a four out of five on the T put scale. And I should also say that I'm pretty excited to watch the Maltese Falcon. The only time I ever watched that movie was in a film class while I was in college, as that was actually taught in the Gateway Film Center, as we you know would watch them in the movie theater. That film class, I believe, went through a lot of the classics, and that was one of the ones that we covered. I actually believe my sister was visiting, did not attend that college with me, but definitely went to that class with me because they didn't really check anything. But I am rambling here, so once again, Duncan, thank you so much for doing these, and can't wait to hear what everybody else's thoughts are on Memento. This is David Garrett Jr., and I am signing off. And thanks very much to David Garrett Jr. for submitting in his review. Well, there we go, ladies and gents. That is our reviews in for Memento. And next month, you guys can submit in your reviews for the Maltese Falcon. Now, the Teapots Collective has been under... <laughs> it's been underutilised and slightly mistreated by myself. That is mostly because my other main feed, the podcast Under the Stairs, does a massive summer series every year, which this year's putting out 40 episodes over 10 weeks. And as a result... I sometimes forget to do these shows or I have them recorded but I just don't have time to post them so with that in mind the rest of the series will come out on schedule without any issues and I'm looking forward to bringing the final run of movies your way ladies and gents so to get us back on track you don't have maybe as much time with the Maltese Falcon as you normally would um, I am looking to get reviews for this one in no later than Friday the 16th Friday the 16th so it's about three weeks from now Friday the 16th of September for your reviews of the Maltese Falcon the episode will drop on Sunday the 18th so yeah what I need from you is your review of the Maltese Falcon in to me and then that is going to go straight in to the episode released on the 18th of September so there we go ladies and gents in terms of what I'm reviewing next and setting up for your next movie to review I mean uh, this is one of my all time favourite movies I feel like I say that a lot but I genuinely mean it this might be my favourite film noir ever made when I say film noir, it's a neo-noir and there's no getting around that but it definitely owes a lot to that old school noir. Now we mentioned Dashiell Hammond earlier on and he did not write this but the name of the movie comes from a line in his novel Red Harvest it is of course Blood Simple the debut feature from Joel and Ethan Cohen, who both wrote and directed this movie it has a wonderful cast and an incredible story and by god is this one dark oh my god so so dark so yeah that is what i'm doing next we're going to be taking a look at blood simple i'm going to gush over it heavily so be expecting of massive amounts of bias but i don't care that's what these shows are there for so yeah if you've never seen blood simple before you are in for a riot my dear dear listeners but that's the end of the show. I look forward to hearing your reviews of The Maltese Falcon when we return middle of next month. But until then, wherever you are, please take care of yourselves out there. And this is Duncan McLeish and I am signing off.